Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 261. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss 1959's The Shaggy Dog. This is one of those titles, as Disney fans, you know the name. You see it on Disney+, Plus. you know that it has a legacy because it got remade twice, but it's one that I know I had never sat to watch before, and I believe you are in the same boat. Yeah, we were remiss for not sitting down to watch this one sooner. But, you know, when you look at it on the surface, this was such a perfect film to talk about as we're kind of revisiting these classic Walt-era films because not only did it have this legacy that dragged on seemingly forever because they were remaking this movie until 15 or 16 years ago, right? But when you look at the cast, Fred McMurray, Tom, uh, Tommy Kirk, Kevin Corcoran, Annette Funicello, like these are people that were... Walt Disney, and by Walt Disney, I mean the man, they were Walt Disney staples. That's exactly why we picked this one. As soon as we saw Annette Funicello, we were like, we have to. Yes. So, super excited to get into it. Um, Like I said, first time for both of us. Was this worth the wait? Was this worth the hype? Is this a movie that needed to be remade? Not once, but twice. That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners, of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code Monoreal at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. We meet Wilson Daniels, a father of two and a retired mailman who hates dogs, as well as his wife, Frida, and his children, Wilby and Moochie. He doesn't hate them. We're just introduced to them as well. The boys, <laughs> the boys mainly, Wilby, find themselves in considerable trouble after their missile interceptor misfires and destroys the roof of the house. We meet his best friend, Bud, and their mutual love interest, Allison, as Mikhail Andresi and his adopted daughter, Francesca, move in across the street. We learn that Mikhail is the new curator at the museum, so when Buzz and Wilby join Francesca, um, who they are both smitten over, to the museum, where Wilby sees Professor Plumcut, he tells him of the Borges and their shape-shifting ways. This is the family that the professor and the museum are really focusing on at this point in time. Uh, Wilby knocks over a table holding a case of jewelry and ends up with a ring in the cuff of his pants. When he finds the ring that night, he reads the engraving on it, which translates to, into a dog's body I change. And he transforms into Francesca's sheepdog, Chiffon. Uh, he goes back to the museum as the dog and talks to Plumcut, who always took him for a shapeshifter, and explains <laughs> that the spell will come and go, and heroism will likely be the key to breaking the spell. Moochie awakens the next morning to see that Wilby is now a dog, and they worry about how their father will respond. So they do everything in their power to hide Wilby from Wilson, who becomes suspicious when his allergies start acting up. He finds the dog, not knowing it's Wilby, and chases him away with his shotgun. Wilby, like you do. Like you do. Wilby returns to Francesca, who believes it to be Chiffon. While in the house, 
He gets locked in the closet by the butler. When he falls and hits his head trying to escape through a window, he and the dog separate and become their normal selves. As they approach the popular country club dance, Buzz tells Wilby that he asked both Allison and Francesca to the dance, and that Wilby needs to be the fourth in their group to round it out so that each girl believes that the other girl is Wilby's date. So this is how we're going to hide all of this. Well, Buzz is a smooth talker, isn't he? Buzz finds creative ways to trade the girls off with Wilby, who then begin to fight over Wilby, who then starts to shapeshift in the middle of the dance, which causes quite a scene. Wilby escapes the dance and calls home to get permission to quote-unquote stay at Buzz's house because he's still trying to hide from his father. Buzz, meanwhile, deals with the fallout of his actions with the girls, but of course he blames it all on Wilby, who overhears it while in Chiffon's body. After attacking Buzz and scaring him off, Francesca, uh, Francesca asks her father to watch after Chiffon because he's gotten out multiple times. Uh, her father agrees and is visited by his associate named Thurm. Wilby overhears them as they scheme to steal top secret government information. Wilby escapes and tells Moochie what has happened. So Moochie goes to Wilson, who refuses to believe him. So Wilby exposes what has happened to him, sending his father into a shock. Stefano, the butler, captures Wilby, thinking that he is the dog Chiffon. And meanwhile, Wilson goes to the authorities to tell them of the spies. However, they are hesitant to believe him due to the nature of his claims. And he then becomes a person of interest, because we have spies, we have espionage, we have my son as a dog, so they really don't believe him. Back at the Andresi house, the uh, Wilbur uh, overhears more of the spy plans and transforms back into a human as they are discussing their plan, which includes getting rid of Francesca. They capture Wilby and force Francesca to leave with them immediately. Moochie sneaks into the house as Wilby transforms back into a dog. Wilby then takes Buzz's car to pursue the spies. He gets pulled over by the police, but then he steals the police car. He heads down to the dock, boards the boat where the spies and Francesca are. Francesca gets hit on the head with what looks to be an oar of some sort. She is thrown into the water and rescued by Wilby. Remember, he is still in the body of the dog. Uh, Wilby then transforms back into a human, and of course, Buzz arrives and tries to take credit for the rescue. Um, however, both he and Chiffon go back to their regular ways permanently because of the act of heroism, and it is then at that point that... The criminals are arrested. Francesca is sent back. I think she's going back to France, which is where she's from originally. The dog and Wilson are both named as heroes. And Wilson, now loving the animal, adopts the shaggy dog to join the family. Off top. Oh, not yeah. at all what I was expecting nope. from this title. Nope. I. Not at all. As soon as I read the description and I saw transformation, I was like, not at all where I thought this was going. But now I sort of understand where after Disney passed, Ron Miller got these ideas for things like the computer wore tennis shoes. Uh -huh. Because this felt like a blueprint for that whole series with the B story of the spies and, you know, 
the the shape shifting and yeah. all of it. So I was kind of like, okay, those. Do- I mean, they're still very much far fetched, but I was like, if he was trying to emulate Disney, now I kind of get it. So here was my thing. I knew that somebody in this film was going to turn into the dog because even though I never saw it, I've never seen any iteration of this film prior to to this week to discuss it for the show. I remember in 06 when the Tim Allen remake came out, the trailer showed Tim Allen turning into the dog. So, of course, the whole time I'm thinking Fred McMurray turns into a dog, never thinking it's going to be his son, Tommy Kirk, right? So um, I thought, okay... Zany hijinks. Here comes zany hijinks. Exactly. I'm thinking this is Freaky Friday with a dog. Especially because they're so heavy-handed in the way that they set up that he doesn't like them. Yes. But before we get into the actual review, I do want to talk about these titles first. Oh, yes. Uh, They're incredible. It kind of reminds me of The Parent Trap, how they set it up with that needlepoint. Yes. You have this like crocheted animated dog. And um, what really stood out to me is that uh, Xavier Atencio got the credit for special titles. We know him better as X, writer of some of the songs to our very favorite attractions. Yes. Um, So that led me to believe that he was the one responsible for these titles, or at least maybe for the song. The, the opening titles are both fun and frightening at the same time. Right. <laughs> um, credit where credit is due. They they tried hard. They wrote an original song, but there are moments where that dog just looks possessed, and it's in the eyes. Well, I hate to nitpick something that I think they actually did a pretty good job of, but there are moments where I'm like, I don't know if I like this or not. Because the eyes look so real throughout. I mean, obviously they do when it's really a dog, but when they have the costume, yeah, those eyes look kind of freaky. See, and I think they look real, but let's put a pin in that until we get to the actual transformation and the puppet costume itself. And we're just talking about the opening credits. But but you know what? I, But it makes me happy to see because I love when they would go out of their way, write an original song, yeah. do an original opening credit scene. And like Walt Disney really, really sold the creativity here. And that's a hallmark of his very classic classic style of filmmaking exactly so to circle back to what we were saying earlier where we're thinking the setup is fred mcmurray is going to be the one to transform into the dog they start with an opening narration that states it couldn't have happened to anyone but it happened to wilson and last i checked he was not the one turning into this dog so going out of their way to build to it and it ends up happening to his son and i think I think it might have been a more interesting setup to put us in the POV of Wilby, just an average guy getting ready for school that morning, rather than start on his father and then shift focus to him. I think that was a little, not confusing, but I don't know why they would mislead us in that way. I don't find it misleading so much as it is that I think that what they tried to do was tell the story of the father, but that story very much gets lost because Fred McMurray's character, for a better portion of this film, is a secondary character. Exactly. And they could have taken the opportunity to really 
lean into it because and and keep the focus on him and oh my goodness what's happening with my family I can't stand dogs and now they're trying to keep one from me um we only get really one scene like that where it's exposed that there's a dog in the house and I think that that's where the hijinks could have been a lot more fun if it was a case of the entire family or at least um Moochie and the mom trying to keep knowing what happened to Wilby and right. trying to keep it from Wilson. Yeah. Um, but instead, they're laying it on so thick that Wilson doesn't like animals. Um, he becomes unlikable from the jump. And you had such an easy out because he's a mailman. Rather than hear how he doesn't like dogs, how much fun would it be to actually see this play out that he's getting chased down by the neighborhood dog all the time? Right, because you have the neighborhood dog that walks by the house in most scenes when Wilson is going out to get the newspaper, but the dog kind of cowers away from him. And they mention maybe two or three times in the film that he's a postman, and I guess, or retired at least. So we all know that dogs don't like the mailman, so you don't really need to explain that. But to see him be this, like, tortured soul, even in his retirement, exactly. would have worked comedically. We know Fred McMurray can do funny, right? And physical. From absent-minded professor. So it would have been great to do it here, um, but I think they wanted to make him very stern. And I think you had to kind of teeter that line between making him a goofball and making him, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word, but a, a tough guy. I had another word I was going to use, but I'm not going to use it. A tough guy because you have to sell him as such. I don't think they teetered, though. I think that they went way too far. Because I don't think you can teeter is my point. He's either slapstick or he's a tough guy. But that's what I'm saying. There was a way to do this without making him an animal hater because you lose your audience right away. And it's not just because I'm a dog lover, but the things that he said were just so cruel. Like, I thought he was bad in Absent-Minded Professor just being completely misogynistic and feeling entitled to the fiance that he's treating absolutely like garbage here. This is even worse. And I, I was like, I, I loved him in absent minded professor because there were so many redeeming qualities. You don't get that here at all. I think Fred McMurray was excellent in this movie. I don't want to jump too far ahead because we're going to talk about the cast in a little while. I think the issues with the character are not with Fred McMurray so much as they are the way that the character is written, to your point. Because that that becomes kind of a through line throughout the movie. Yeah. In particular, he's the most inconsistent character that there is. The rest of them, and we're going to talk about, they're going to get introduced in, in just a moment. Most of them are consistent from top to finish, or from top to bottom, I should say. But with him... He's a little all over the place. Right. And that's that's exactly what I'm saying is that you are gifted with having this mailman vendetta trope. And that would have been so much more funny to see instead of hear about. And it would have softened him enough where he didn't become unlikable. Let's talk about the introduction of most of our cast, though, because what this film does really well with its pacing is within five minutes, you get introduced to basically every cast member. 
And you've got this great scene where Wilby and his brother are doing this experiment in the basement. Yes. And you get this pre-Mary Poppins shaking effect of the entire house, and they just do it so well. Great practical effects. Mom seems totally fine with the amount of damage that these boys have done. They have shot a missile from the basement through the what I assume to be the living room, through an attic, through the roof. She's fine with it. Thank you. Because they are up repairing this roof, and that's what the focus is, is just the roof. That thing came from the basement. We've all forgotten about this, by the way. So it went through the main floor. They've not only got a roof to repair, there's a ceiling to repair and a floor. And the funniest thing to me is that it loses all logic because, you know, you want to get this scene that plays for comedy where um, Wilson pops up through the roof and Wilby's about to hit him with the hammer to get him back down. And he wants to discipline him. And this is where he delivers all the lines about no more experiments in the basement. You're getting rid of all the stuff. You're getting rid of all the animals. But Wilby goes, how'd you get up here? And he's like, oh, I stacked up a bunch of boxes. First of all, if he's in the attic, okay, I'll buy that you have boxes. But I'm thinking he's like in a bedroom or something. So why do you just have boxes in your bedroom? But more to the point there's still going to be a gaping hole in the floor. You could not stack boxes up. You would have had to stack them from the basement and climb all the way up there. Yeah. Unless but they all have they're focused the on is the, but all they're focused on is the roof is my point. And you shot a missile through the house. I know. And we never see or hear of any of this other damage ever again. Let's talk about Dad's punishment. It makes sense that he wants to take everything away, given the amount of severe damage that has been done to the house. But at the same time, he seems to overlook the incredible here. The fact that his son, albeit by accident, yeah. made a functioning rocket. Yeah. And he goes into great lengths talking about how, over the course of the film... Wilby's awkward, Wilby's different, Wilby's not interested in dating just yet, maybe he shouldn't be, and his mother says maybe he should, and he almost talks about Wilby like he's misguided, but it seems like Wilby is very much, he's scientific, he's handy, it seems like, especially in, you know, the rocket age of the 1950s, right, in the space race, that his father would have, like, really leaned into that because his son's very much ahead of his time. But here he's sort of just, like, ruling out... He's taking the extraordinary things about his son and casting his out is just strange. Ex strange. Exactly. They're trying to make it seem like Wilby has this hobby or interest that is never going to get him anywhere in life. Meanwhile, this is something incredible that he did that's going to get him very far. Right. I think that they were trying to like employ the trope of a kid that's interested in like the arts or music and the dad's like, no, that's not going to pay the bills. Yes. And they totally missed the mark because to your point, he did something pretty extraordinary. I think they also might have had a missed opportunity here where you've just destroyed the house. Mom should be mad at that. You you ruin her, you know, she her concern was grabbing the china and yeah. the good dishes and getting them out of the house. She should have gotten her moment to really lay into them. But instead, 
it, this all sort of gets jumbled. And then in two seconds, it's over because Buzz pulls up to pick up Allison and Wilpie's attention just goes right across the street. Right across the street to Allison. Um, both boys have a mutual crush on her, but we're kind of led to believe that Buzz is her on-again, off-again boyfriend. They never they never define the relationship between Buzz and Allison. All we know is that Buzz drives a really nice sports car, yet has to borrow money from from Wimby all the time, um, or Wilby uh, all the time, and he mistreats this poor Allison, Annette Funicello, constantly. And the through point throughout the movie is that for some reason or the next, and I'm so, kind of surprised they would have done this with Annette Funicello, she tends to kind of just roll over and take it, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Especially, let's hit the rewind button for just a second and talk about the mom. What's interesting here is, like you said, mom should have been very upset with all of the damage. They seemingly take the mom and dad roles and flip them here because dad should be the one encouraging him to chase girls, giving him the old elbow, hey, attaboy, how about that one, right? Very much a trope of its time. In this case, they put it on mom. Hey, yeah. why don't you take Allison out? Why don't you take Francesca out? He should be dating. He shouldn't wait as long as you did to start dating. The fact that they would be very progressive with mom and hit kind of the reverse button with Allison doesn't make a lot of sense, especially because Annette Funicello at that time was one of Walt Disney's biggest stars. To this day is one of the biggest stars he ever had. And for a lack of better term, he dumbs her down every time he sort of just makes her take it in stride. Well, it's not just that. I mean, they completely did a disservice to Annette Funicello in this film. I kind of feel like they wrote this part just to get her into the movie. And I hate to say it. You don't need this character at all because eventually these boys are going to be fighting over Francesca. And there is the scene where, trust me, we will talk about what Buzz does later, where he tries to continue to date both of them. But here, this just paints both Buzz and Wilby as jerks. And now this is where we're supposed to be getting that focus shift to Wilby. And we're supposed to be liking him so that we can root for our main character. And they do that with this elaborate setup with the with shooting the missile through the roof. You know, granted, you've done that entire thing for the sake of the sight gag, but it did serve as character development because now we see that everybody finds Wilby as this offbeat kind of guy. And you could have done that here if they had finessed that, this scene a little bit more with Allison because instead, to me, you're losing the likability factor for Wilby too because he just seems like he's entitled to Allison because he's loaning Buzz money to take her on dates. And he's like, well, I want to take her out too. I think we needed a more clearly defined stance on do you just want to take her out or are, do you really care for her? Because as soon as Francesca shows up, you flat leave her. So they haven't posed Wilby in a way that we're supposed to feel sympathetic towards him of this aw shucks guy who is too afraid to pursue the girl and instead he's helping his best friend by giving him money. You could have either shown Wilby standing up for himself and saying, no, 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 I'm not giving you any more money and if you can't afford to take her out, 
I will. And then he's not really moving in on his best friend's girl because they also have not clearly defined that relationship. They're just dating. They haven't established that. I think, you know, the term of the time would have been that uh, Buzz and Allison are going steady. So it, you wouldn't have lost Wilby's likability in that way because he's not trying to move in on Buzz's girl. They're they're not really together. So it just could have been this moment of, you know what? I am going to stand up for myself. I'm not going to give you money and I'm going to take her out myself. And instead, that all falls to the wayside because as soon as another pretty girl shows up, both of your heads are turning. And that kind of makes Wilby seem like a jerk here. So we get introduced to Francesca. We get introduced to her father, Mikhail. And we get introduced to Chiffon, the dog, right? Chiffon. Chiffon. Yes, the French girl with the American accent. It's very interesting, but apparently she <laughs> speaks four languages, so I guess that's how we're going to hide this. Yeah, one. transatlantic accent being one of them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you get introduced as uh, you get introduced to the idea that Buzz is the worst. Will be wants to stand up for himself, but doesn't stand up for himself. We don't really understand why he won't stand up to Buzz. Like, we could have gotten a little bit here, like, Buzz is his only friend, because maybe he is buried in the basement doing science experiments all of the time, and Buzz is only friends with him because he lends him money. There's ways that they could have played around with it, but other than that, I mean, listen, I think that they do a fairly good job of getting us introduced to all of these characters very quickly, and they waste no time in getting into the action. We know exactly what Mikkel is. He's the new museum curator, and off to the museum we go almost immediately. Now, forget about Allison. We've forgotten that she's in the car, and now she's just gotten up and gone back inside because she's not going to go on her tennis date with Buzz. Now we get in the car, and we go to the museum. And A.K.A. We, Spaceship Earth. Yes, and we meet Professor... Um, what is it? Plum, Plumcliff, Plumley. What is it? A uh, Plumcut, Plumcut, Plumcut. There we, you go. We meet Plumcut, who seems almost like a crazy old codger himself, and then looks at Wilby, his old uh, paper boy. You know, and and later we'll say to him, as I mentioned in the plot, you know, I always took you for a shapeshifter. So you can't <laughs> really tell if Plumcut is insane. If he's obsessed with his craft, which is history, or like what his deal is. This man is unhinged and I am so here for it. I wish we would have gotten more of him for that reason. I do too, but at the same time, you could have done without this entire scene because this whole setup could have been done at Francesca's house. They're moving in. They've got stuff everywhere. Wilby's bumping into it. So if the entire purpose was to get this ring in his pant leg which he may as well have hold up a sign to the camera that said, hey, guys, major plot point. I've got the ring in my pants now. You could have done that with a jewelry box at Francesca's house. Yeah, because some of what's at the house is going to the museum anyway. Well, especially because they have the portrait of the woman with the dog. So I'm thinking spies were the last thing I expected. I'm thinking Francesca's family is, is you know, from Salem, right. circa the 1690s. Yeah, you're thinking somewhere in there we're going to learn that they are a part of the Borges family. And and they're casting yeah. spell, and they want humans and dogs to switch places, or maybe that they're doing it to teach people a lesson, or that it was they were aiming for Wilson and they misfired and got Wilby. Right, because they do mention uh, that Plumcut mentions that 
the Borgeses used to punish people. They used to weaponize shape-shifting. So it would make sense that that's exactly what happens here. But instead, you have a folly of errors that leads to the ring in the pant cuff, which I'm fine with. I, I don't... That's fine. You had to have him accidentally find it anyway. I just didn't need him to say... This must have come from the box I knocked over and landed in my pants. I mean, he didn't say that much overtly, but it he it was well pretty have. close. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the transformation, right? So he starts to read the engraving on the ring and he kind of makes a little sing song out of it to himself um, innocently. And slowly the transformation starts. I think that the very slow transformation that we see is an awful lot of fun. It's wild. At first, I thought the hair looked truly terrible poking out from behind his ears and his own hair. But once that nose is on, it is absolutely incredible. The makeup looks fantastic. They mastered the cold, wet dog nose yep. on a human. It, I, I was blown away by this. Even more impressive than that is what we were talking about earlier when we discussed the opening credits. The suit slash puppet. That is the dog because they make the dog speak, you know, will be obviously Tommy Kirk is doing a voiceover, but they actually have the dog's mouth moving and it's a puppet. The amazing thing is that they got the eyes to look so convincing, that glassy puppy dog look. They're amazing. There are times where if the dog isn't speaking, I couldn't tell you if it's the puppet or the animal actor. And the animal actor is incredible, by the way. He's great. Oh, yeah. But there are times where the puppet is so good, I can't tell the difference between one and the next. Say, honestly, going into this on a blind and not knowing anything about this film, I didn't realize it was a puppet until some of the more extreme stunt work. Because I was like, okay, they're not going to put a dog in this situation. Right. But... Uh, you know, they're not going to have a dog climbing a ladder and things like that. And I was like, okay, that's definitely a puppet. But I mean, it it fooled me. How but let's do... keep doing CGI, please. Yeah. How do you feel about the spell coming and going without any warning at its leisure? Um, I think that that was a smart idea for the plot. But I feel like they could have had a lot more fun with it as far as playing it for comedy, especially because we know how Wilson has it out for this dog from the jump. I also think that this is where having Wilby's feelings toward either Allison or Francesca more clearly defined would have gone a long way because... When Buzz drops Allison to pursue Francesca, it could have been a very simple throwaway line. Wilby could have said, all right, well, if you're going after her, I'm going to, you know, I have real feelings for Allison. I'm going to, you know, try and I'm going to ask her out now right, if, right. if you're done here. Um, or it could have been that Buzz stayed with Allison and now Wilby is pursuing Francesca and they really could have used this as an opportunity because Wilby is in dog form to have him hang out with her and show her affection and learn about her and do the things that he's maybe afraid to do as his as himself. Right. Now he's got this opportunity to get close to her and they could have had that where he's in dog form and trying to gain all this intel to her life and then uh oh he starts to transform conversely this is where they could have really played it for comedy to go back to your original point where 
he doesn't know when he's going to transform back and forth. So how funny would it be is he's if he's got to play this part of chiffon and play the part of the dog, and now he starts transforming in front of the butler, in front of Francesca, and now he's got to escape the house as a fully grown human. They didn't take that opportunity at all because most of the time that he is in dog form, the butlers got him locked away in a room somewhere. So it would have been really funny to see that play out where he's human when he's supposed to be a dog in their home. And then he's a dog in his own home, which his father's not going to tolerate. We get one scene that plays to that. And otherwise, I think it could have been a lot more fun. Yeah, because instead what you get is this is where it starts to be. We're going to lock him in a room. He's going to somehow find a way out because they don't. Un- they obviously don't know that it's a human in a dog's body and he's going to get creative and find ways out. Um, that becomes a gag, a running gag throughout. As does Moochie wanting to treat, even though Moochie knows it's his brother, he wants to treat him like a family pet. That doesn't get old. That is hysterical to me. Where I do think they missed the mark with Moochie, though, is that he's the only one who knows and believes that this is Wilby and understands what's happening. So he keeps looking for Wilby and calling for him to come home. That's your neighbor's dog. Go open a window and let him out and help him. Yeah. Instead, though, we get a scene later, uh, right around the same time, actually, Fred McMurray chasing after the dog with the shotgun. Come on. That's his immediate reaction. Forget the fact that he doesn't know it's his son and he's shooting at his son. I mean, that is supposed to be that's the comedy, the bit, it. right? He, you think it's fine to kill your neighbor's dog? He says yes because his wife asks him the same question, and he's like, "Yeah." Also, mailman with a shotgun, like completely a missed opportunity here. Like, to really lean into, like, the rage and that stereotype, that could have been really funny, too. What we do get, though, is a setup for the dance, right? Because the comedy of errors, the follies, they happen a few times. That that scene, I don't want to skip past it, though. When the butler locks up Wilby, like Harry Potter, under the stairs. Yep. This stunt with the screwdriver is so... It's hysterical. Funny because Wilby transforms back into himself. He finds a screwdriver. He takes the hinges off of the door. And then the next time that we see the dog, it is actually Chiffon, but he's sitting there holding the screwdriver. The reaction from the butler is fantastic. It's great. Let's get into the dance scene because they're at their country club, um, which must not be all that exclusive if half the town is there. But they're there, they're jitterbugging, they're having a great time. The lead up to this, and we never see it, of course, is that Buzz has already promised Allison that he's going to take her to the dance. He also goes and asks Francesca to be his date for the dance. And he needs Wilby to be number four in the car so that Francesca thinks that Wilby took Allison and Allison thinks that Wilby took Francesca. Buzz is disgusting. This is ridiculous. You, if Allison is in fact your girlfriend, you're a jerk and you're treating her like dirt. 
if she's not, you're still being a jerk. And this is where I wish they would have given Wilby the conviction to to state who he actually cares about. Right. Call out Buzz, who's not actually his friend, and and try and set this straight instead of just going along with it. Or at least have him protest a little bit more or set Buzz up for failure. Instead, I mean, at the dance, this is actually going to backfire on Buzz. Um, because... Francesca sort of lets him off the hook because she Buzz lets her think that it's her idea to make Allison jealous. And she's like, all right, well, what if I go and start fawning all over Wilby so that Allison gets a little bit more possessive and that way Wilby doesn't have to do anything. And, you know, Francesca believes at this point that Wilby is having difficulty talking to her because he likes her. And again, this scene would be a lot less convoluted if we knew where Wilby's feelings truly lied. Um, so instead, Buzz gets out of the whole thing with like a brilliant fourth wall break. He doesn't look directly at the camera, but when Francesca says, I'm going to go make Allison jealous and Buzz lets it be all her idea he like looks toward the skies like as if to say thank you. It was very funny. And he gets off the hook. It's it's funny, but it's also maddening. And then he has the nerve to get jealous when Allison does seem to genuinely have feelings towards Wilby. So which is it, Buzz? Pick one. Right, because that's the thing. They don't necessarily tell you explicitly how Wilby feels about Allison. We know that he's said he wants to take her out. We've also he heard him tell his mother that Buzz takes Allison to all of the dances. So they don't really have a defined relationship. Then we see that Allison kind of has a thing for Wilby. But the problem is they only ever go, whether it be Allison or Wilby, they only ever go about 50% of the way in telling us exactly what's going on, exactly what the dynamic is. They never out and out say he likes her, she likes him, maybe the feeling's not mutual, maybe the, they're intimidated by each other. They never commit one way or the other. If they weren't going to clearly state it, what also would have been helpful is if you didn't have Buzz pursuing both girls. It could have been that Buzz was going to state true to Allison regardless of of if they're official not official and then once Wilby starts pursuing Francesca who's seemingly out of his league then Allison does genuinely get jealous and now Buzz is kind of left holding the bag of wait how is he getting both of them because Buzz is pursuing Francesca it loses all meaning right but the scene still works because as Wilby starts to transform. And no one notices, no one notices the it. dog on the dance floor. Nobody notices it. But the havoc that it causes with Moochie. And really what sells it for me is Fred McMurray. Because when he sees that the dog is there, it's like, you again? He can't escape <laughs> this dog. It's like the dog is hunting him. Which goes back to what you said earlier. There was so much of a missed opportunity there, like building this idea that like 
he's constantly needing to look over his shoulder because he is so afraid of dogs. Um, and it gets it gets to the point where Wilby escapes. Buzz is chasing after him because he's trying to get Chiffon, her dog, back to impress her. Yeah, Chiffon's dog that she loves so much that it's constantly being locked in basements, cupboards under yeah. the stairs. And then when it shows up to the dance, she asks Buzz to go get it. Why can't you command this dog? Yeah. But instead, what you get is the eventual collapse of Buzz's plan. We never see it collapse. We have to just assume that the girls spoke to each other and uncovered it. We never know exactly how they figured it out. All we know is that they figured it out and both of them end up aggravated with Buzz eventually. See, and that would have been a scene I would have liked to see is they're both jerks. They don't deserve either of us. Correct. But what's happening in the meantime, in between the escape from the dance and the actual collapse of Buzz's plan is you get this twist with the government secret. Because that of course nobody saw coming. What I really love here is the scene where the brothers realize how out of their league they are and that they're going to have to ask for their dad's help. And instead of will be pushing Moochie away like he's been this entire time because Moochie just wants a pet. Uh, they have each other's back here. And I love how, you know, because obviously Wilby doesn't want to be shot at. They go so far as to show that Moochie has the key to the closet where Wilson keeps the gun. And he's like, don't worry, I got you. The worst part of this, I, I mean, like dad's reaction is not going to be great, but the worst part of this is covered. He's not going to actually hurt you. And the setup to dad's reaction is priceless oh God, because so he's not looking at Wilby and Wilby goes, can we shake on it? And he says, sure. And it's the dog's paw. It was belly laugh funny when they did that. No, and it's so simple, too, because then Fred McMurray just passes out. They don't take the scene and run with it. There's no big reaction. I think it was funnier in its subtlety. It is. And th then they also give mom a chance to be funny. And uh, I'll, I'll go get the... the uh, what, whatever uh, tonic she's going to yeah. use to revise, revive him. And then she's like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. You need to stay and rest. I like her. I like that they give her that little beat too. What they start doing here though, that kind of goes a little bit off the rails in terms of the pacing is Wilson believes Moochie's story. He doesn't believe Moochie's story. Wilby's in the house listening to secrets. He's out of the house and filling in. And then he's back in. And now he transforms into human. And they capture him. You've got a sea story of the sergeant falling from grace because they believed Wilby's original story, which completely gets lost. The first time I watched it, I was like, wait, who is this character? And the second time I was like, oh, okay, this was... Wilby's initial story that he reported, you know, he's just being like neighborhood watch and reporting something. Yeah. And the sergeant has now taken the fall for it. But you've got them involved all for where this is really going is all for the sake of this four car chase in which a dog is driving. Honestly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about everything that's happening prior to the chase, though. Wilson eventually just believes 
what Moochie has told him, because now he has seen will be as the dog, right? And believes that he has overheard this spy plot, you know, involving Francesca's father. Well, why wouldn't you at this point? You know, if yeah. you believe that your son is a dog and it took seeing to believe that, but now I feel like your capacity for doubting anything, you have to throw that out the window. So he goes to the authorities. They initially don't believe in until he starts like talking in code and like only somebody on the inside would have understood the language that he was speaking. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Did you just say that? Okay, hang on. Let's go get our people. What was it? Section 32, yeah, I think. 32, yeah, and they're 39, like, whatever how it was. do you know about section 32? What doesn't make any sort of sense though, is that Moochie sells him out because they start talking to the father and he goes, well, ask my son Moochie. He's the one that brought it to my attention. And Moochie's like, dad likes to make up stories. There's no reason for him to do that. If if the idea was, I'm going to set my father up so that they stick with him and they get me home because I have to go help my brother, that's fine. That is sort of what happens, but they never define that that's what he's trying to do. Instead, he just sells his father up the river for absolutely no reason, and his father ends up with a psych evaluation from the government. It's funny, but it doesn't make sense. I couldn't agree more with you, because I was thinking the same exact thing the first time I watched it. I was like, why would he just turn on his dad now? I think it's that they didn't play it for comedy enough, because they've already told Moochie that he can go, and his dad needs to stay for further questioning. If they didn't say he could go... Right. And Moochie started doing this just to get out of it and be like, my dad's nuts. And and he knows his dad is going to get detained, but he can go help Wilby. It would have been so much more funny. It, it would have been like the most brilliant little brother performance of all time yeah. just so he could get out of it. But you've already stated that you know too much and you're going to have to stay, but your son can go. Without that line, it would have it would have changed the scene entirely. Right. And it would have played for comedy so much better. But we get the four car chase. Wilby as Chiffon steals Buzz's car. He gets pulled over by the police. He steals a police car. Now he as a dog is driving the police car. The police are in Buzz's car. Another vehicle is in pursuit. Then the chief is in pursuit all while they're trying to get to the docks because in the meantime, Francesca's been taken by her father, who's looking to get rid of her, by the way. He wants to eliminate her from all of this. He and uh, Stefano and or, and, and um, Thern, like, they're all off doing their thing on this boat. Like, they did it for comedy, but... For as well as the movie is paced, it seems like the last 10 minutes of this movie just gets smushed together. Yeah. One of the things that they did do right, though, is this brilliant sight gag where uh, we'll be sort of playing chicken with an oncoming car or what seems like an oncoming car. And the headlights split apart because it's two motorcycles that were driving together. I thought that was such a cool gag. Um Especially because he calls them chickens after. Yeah. Like, he, he was going to go for it no matter what. Um, 
you know, then you have, of course, Buzz showing up a day late and a dollar short to uh, save Francesca. He is just incorrigible. He, ugh. But he gets what's coming to him when, when he finally kind of briefly gets the snot kicked out of him by uh, by Wilby. If you ask me, he didn't get it enough. Oh, I don't think he got it enough, but at least he got something. Not nearly enough of a comeuppance here. Yeah. So the film if essentially ends very quickly because we don't ever see Mikkel and his men get detained. We just know that they get detained after the fact and that Chiffon is awarded as a hero dog for rescuing Francesca and Wilson is, is awarded as a hero for having saved the United States from the espionage from the spies that were going to Steal our secrets and our missiles and everything else. So very much Cold War, right? Um, all for this moment that he adopts Chiffon because Francesca gets shipped away, but they don't let her keep the dog, oddly enough. Right. So, like, I guess the moral of the story is that they have their happy ending and Wilson sees that dogs aren't bad. But we kind of rushed to get to that point, and there were just pieces of this missing. Well, the whole conceit, too, is that when we meet Wilson, he's talking about, he's reading the paper, and he's like, can you believe this? They're awarding a dog for saving a human, and, and he doesn't believe that's possible. So now the shaggy dog is getting a Medal, medal of Valor, which, of course, Wilson thinks is his, mm -hmm. and then it goes to Chiffon. So I like that bit, but... We see that Wilson has learned his lesson. Now he's obviously a dog lover. It's come full circle. Uh, you know, he he values Chiffon because he's saved a life. But really, Wilson is just basking in the glory of everything that happened. And like, he really didn't contribute much to it other than telling the police what his sons told him. But... He's not the one who jumped in the water and saved Francesca. He's not the one who discovered all of these secrets and said, we need to out them. Right. He just kind of fell into all of this. So what I would have liked to see instead, since you're taking all the glory anyway, is an apology to your sons. Yeah. I, I think that's where we sort of missed the mark a little bit from really bringing this home as a warm and fuzzy family moment. Um, and we obviously see that he's had a character arc because his opinion about dogs has changed and now he's letting his son keep the dog that he's always wanted. Um, it's just not enough. I feel like we owe will be a bit more. Um, however, I will say though, I'm glad that Allison gets hers. You want to talk about a full character arc. She's found a new man that's taking her out. So neither Buzz nor Wilby gets the girl in this case. Yeah, let's talk about our cast here. Let's lead off with Fred McMurray. Um, I think the dislikable qualities are not because of Fred McMurray. I think it's because of how the character was written. But I think when Fred McMurray nails that character, he hits it out of the park. I think his performance is excellent, actually. It's like that one moment where you get to the country club and he sort of just waves and he's got this sort of doofy look on his face. Yeah. Like, look at me. Everything's fine. I'm in control. I have everything the way that I want it to be. 
And to me, like that moment is the entire character just trying to exercise control over everything, control which you do not have. Um, so that's where he's just giving another brilliant performance because, like I said, I loved him in Absent Minded Professor, but this character does not nearly have as many redeeming qualities as he does as the professor. And I think that that definitely is attributed to the writing and through no fault of his own. Yeah, I mean, the parent of the year in this film is Frida, played by Gene Hagen. I mentioned it before. She's very progressive for the mom character. Um, it's a shame that they didn't do the same thing for Allison, but for that role, I liked her in the movie. I think we could have had more of her and given her a little bit more gumption. That's not to say that she was completely buried because you do have some really well-written female characters in this movie, but I would have just liked to see more as far as giving her a few comedic moments to shine. Yeah. Tommy Kirk plays Wilby. Um, I think Tommy Kirk does a really good job in this movie. Um, I think he nailed kind of the aw shucks boy next door sort of thing. I just wish they would have defined a little bit more as we mentioned previously, some of the relationships and the feelings he had about Allison, about Francesca, and and why he continues to be around Buzz. I agree. I think the performance was spot on and exactly what it needed to be, but I think the issues are more to do with the writing and just not having some of those relationships clearly defined. Kevin Corcoran plays Moochie. He's great. He's great. He's so great. And Moochie, Kevin Corcoran is Moochie is a nickname that so many of his characters had. It like almost became like an inside joke within Disney. Most of the characters he played in Disney had the nickname Moochie. I love that. I love when they do things like that. Um, Tim Considine plays Buzz Miller. I love, aesthetically, I love the look of Buzz. He is like the preppy 50s kid. They nailed the look. Um... He's so perfectly insufferable, and I think that that's a credit to the performance. Yeah, I really like that they didn't go greaser with him when they so easily could have, making him the polar opposite of Wilby, and having Wilby internalize, well, that's why he gets the girl. He's Mr. Cool. He's Mr. Popular. He's got the car. I like that they put them on the same level, but you make Buzz the antagonist, almost borderline the villain because of the way that he behaves and the way that he's treating these women. So any, any negativity with this character, it comes from within the character. So I really like how they posed him. Annette Funicello plays Allison. Allison's existence in this film is purely to make Buzz more dislikable. That's really what the, that's her, her existence is in the movie is to develop him further as a character. And it's a shame because I like Annette Finicello and I think that she could have done an awful lot more in this movie. I think that they could have had a better character in this movie. She's sort of just there. She's not a character that you have an awful lot of respect for. And I hate to say that because, you know, she's such a, she is so special in the history of the Walt Disney Company, but they re- this was a swing and a miss, and, and they kind of wasted an opportunity with her. Yeah, I said it before. They did her a complete disservice. I'm going to disagree with you, though, that she was entirely there to make Buzz dislikable. 
you didn't need this character at all because you could have channeled all of that through the Francesca character. Yeah, Francesca played by Roberta Shore. And I actually, I, I, I liked her. I, I thought she did a good job because she plays the debutante very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also never really know if you can trust her or not. Is she a good girl or is she getting off on this? Yes. It's a kind of a nuanced performance in that way. And you never really can tell. Yes, because you have no idea if she actually likes Buzz or Wilby. Yeah. She clearly likes the attention from both of them. Yes. Uh, but it's not clearly defined which boy she would actually pick to pursue a relationship with. And I like that they kept it ambiguous like that. Alex. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Alexander Scourby plays Mikkel Andresi. Um, This could have been anybody. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, he wasn't bad. But considering the twist that the movie takes, he should have been a more important character. He's only important because the movie takes the twist. This is what I was talking about earlier where had they played it for comedy more where Wilby is in human form trying to escape from the house... One more scene where he's trying to like outsmart dad, even, you know, and it it could have been as simple as, oh, my God, I can't get caught. I'm in I'm in his daughter's bedroom because I was just here as a dog. I got to get out of here and just had him as more of a foreboding presence throughout the rest of the film. It would have gone a long way. You didn't have to add too much time to the movie. You didn't have to add a whole scene. Um, But just sprinkle him in a bit more throughout it would have gone a long way final thoughts on the shaggy dog i don't know what i was expecting from this title but it's certainly not what we got and it almost grieves me to say this that i don't mean that as a compliment uh because this didn't like pleasantly surprise me or blow me away um and I hate being disappointed in a film that Walt himself touched, one that is so critically and publicly acclaimed as this, you know, brilliant Disney movie. It just didn't do it for me because, you know, I mean, how many times did we say they missed the mark on this bit. They could have done this. When we have so many suggestions, I feel like a lot of our commentary were things that they could have and maybe should have done differently instead of appreciating what is there. Or at least at least for my review, I feel like you had a lot more positive things to say about what we actually got. But for me, all I saw was things that could have been different. Um, and a lot of that is subjective. A lot of that is personal taste. But objectively... I think this could have been a lot more funny. Um, And as amazing as the dog actor and the dog costume are, it wasn't enough to put it over the top for me and be like, wow, this was just this brilliant Disney film. Uh, I'm glad we finally watched it. Am I going to go back and rewatch it? Probably not a whole lot. So I think that, from a Disney fan perspective, looking at the cast, I think that there's a bit of a bias there. You're going to love it for the amount of Disney legends that there are and for 
the good that a lot of these actors and actresses did for the Disney company. When the movie gets it right, it knocks it out of the park. The problem is, there's almost as much that they do right as much as they do wrong, and when they do it wrong, they really miss. I think some of that is a product of the time, but not all of it. I feel like there are things that they do here that kind of come off a little sloppy. Um, I'm surprised, considering Walt Disney was still alive when he made the movie, that some of these characters really aren't fleshed out quite as well as you would think. Um, the pacing's good. Um, the comedy's funny when it's meant to be. Um, so it's got a lot of good things going for it. Do I think it needed to be remade twice? I think certainly you could make the argument for, hey, we can do it better, especially because this was not only the second most profitable film of 1959, not only was it one of the most financially successful films that Walt ever had, it was Walt's most successful financial film of the 1950s. So obviously... This had a following. Obviously, this was a large success. I think a lot of what they did do was ahead of its time in terms of the special effects, um, in terms of the practical effects. I think it stood to be remade. Is it one that I'm going to put on a pedestal? No. Is it one that I enjoyed? Yes. Is it one that I'm going to go back and rewatch? Yes, but not likely anytime soon. My personal feelings aside, I don't think it can be overstated enough what a big deal this is, that it was both critically and commercially successful during this time period. Because if you think about what was going on, this is when movie studios were truly in fear of the future because of the introduction of television. So to have a financially successful film in the 50s, that's that's a major deal and that's where I think that this is looked at as one of the most important Walt Disney films because he still managed to have that success when other studios were really sweating it out we want to know what you have to say about the shaggy dog you can let us know on x instagram and facebook at monoreal radio or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com news of the week is coming up but first a quick break when we were planning our first family trip to Disney World uh Jackie was the first person that we thought of. Jackie helped us with every step of the planning, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget. She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions. These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice in making it all a little bit easier. Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen. We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was an 
unforgettable family trip to Disney World and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets or you can email me directly, monorealradio at gmail.com. And if you do decide to book a trip through Jackie, do us a favor and keep your clothes on. (laughs) Please do. And stay in your ride vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be honest. um, I didn't want to necessarily discuss this topic because when I saw the video, I was afraid that this was a mental health breakdown and I was like, I really don't want to comment on someone if he's going through something. But once there was report of a substance being brought into Disneyland, I was like, nope, this is totally fair game. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This is all over TikTok right now. And it was on the news this morning. Everybody's seen it. Two people have sent it to me directly so far. The crazy thing is that at one point, the guy, for those who don't know, a gentleman who was arrested for being naked on It's a Small World, also uh, having a controlled sub- substance on his person, he's th- the one video I saw, other than him actually in the attraction, there's one of him standing in the water. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you know that the boat starts you outside and then you make the turn and go inside. So right. it's a totally different layout from Walt Disney World. He must have gotten out of the attraction. He's standing in the water, like just outside the bridge as you're getting ready to make the turn into the attraction. He's got no clothes on. And that poor cast member is standing there like (laughs) he's got and he's trying to like coax him into coming out of the water. And the guys, what a what a nightmare. No. And it must have taken them a really long time to get him because he was down to his boxers in Asia and then made it all the way back out to the the exit of the ride or the entrance. I think he he might have worked backwards. Typically speaking, if somebody starts losing articles of clothing by the time they get to Asia, it's because they've done way too much day drinking at Epcot. Yes. It's not typically for this reason, but holy smokes. I got to tell you, though, I'm disappointed because not a one piece of writing or video made an it's a small world joke. No. And Walt has has really been very he's been very loud for this segment. He is moving about this studio. He is all worked up right now. Um all right, let's talk about something that other people are worked up about right now. And I I don't want to say it's not for a good reason and I don't want to say it's not necessarily alarming, but I think that it kind of talks to the bigger picture about what this means specifically for Disney, because they seem to be the ones that are hurting the most. Um, But I I think that it it kind of speaks to the whole movie-going experience in totality. Wish really did not have a good opening weekend. And everybody knows that the Disney animated classics, when they hit the movie theaters, they're hitting at Thanksgiving. So it's not like it hit at the weird time of the year. Frozen was Thanksgiving. Moana was Thanksgiving. Yeah. This was supposed to be the showpiece for this year. And I'm it it only made thirty one point six million dollars its opening weekend. And, like, that's sort of a silly thing to say because it's $31.6 million. They spent more than that on advertising. Forget what they spent to make the movie. Um, It finished 
number three in the box office behind the new Hunger Games film and Napoleon. The real irony here is that it's after Hunger Games, which Rachel Ziegler is in. Yeah, and Rachel Ziegler has not one ounce of sympathy or love from your hardcore Disney fans. There's there's ways to look at this. When Walt Disney himself was making movies, it seems like more times than not, especially with the animated films, because they're so expensive to make, he lost money on them, right? <laughs> but the difference is, he also made a lot of money with other films. Right now, the studio is just not making a ton of money. And it speaks to how expensive the movie-going experience has become. Um, it speaks to what people have gotten accustomed to with streaming. And I think it speaks volumes in regards to the impact that social media is having on these opening weekends. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And we haven't really talked a lot about Wish. We did when the teaser was released because that was prior to the strike. But most of the um, promotion for this film, even though it wasn't be being promoted by Ariana DeBose or any of the cast because of the strikes, mm -hmm. uh, it was all just the trailers that were released. But we personally were not commenting on anything uh, in support of the strike. So one of the things that I had wanted to talk about and couldn't was the vitriol surrounding this trailer because I saw a lot of videos attacking the animation for looking poor and unfinished, um, which I think is really unfortunate because had anyone bothered to do their research, they would know that that was all done intentionally for the style of the film to put the computer animation on the 2D painted backgrounds. Right. And that was all done as a part of the celebration of Disney's 100 year anniversary right. to pay homage to the animators that, that came before and the way that they used to do things. So I thought that that was a really smart choice and instead people were attacking it. Uh, I also saw a lot of videos where people were attacking the King's song because they didn't think it was a good representation for a Disney villain. And again, if you looked into the story of what we were given in the trailer, we know the king is going to become the villain. So... How did he get to be king? Because he was good. He's going to have a fall from grace. That was all given to us up front. So I feel like people latched on to some really silly things and wish had the cards stacked against it from the jump. And it's really unfortunate because people have been pounding the table for new material. And yet, here we are getting it from Disney with things like Elemental and Wish, and now you're not going to see them. Why? Yeah. Because someone on TikTok told you not to? The point is to go to the movie and form the opinion for yourself, not just listen to somebody that's lambasting it for the sake of getting clicks on their video. It's ridiculous. However, I think to your point, this does speak to the bigger picture because the other side of this coin is that it is a good thing 
to hold the studios accountable for what they are putting out. You know, the economy is not great right now. And you and I go to the movies a lot just because it's something that we've always enjoyed. It's something, you know, we've always done as a couple because it's what we're, you know, mutually interested in. Right. So for us who, you know, we have this subscription to AMC. For now. For now, yes. If they keep raising it, that's going to change. But you and I go and we can go two or three times a month if we so choose. I can't imagine what it must be like for a family of four to want to go see this Disney movie. And even if you don't get snacks or drinks or anything, it's still very costly. So I think it is important to sort of hold the studio's feet to the fire as far as what people are willing to spend money on. And it's a good thing that the studios are going to have to start competing for people's hard-earned dollars and make sure that they are turning out quality products again that people will want to go and see, especially in light of the strikes and, you know, the biggest point of contention being AI. I I think, you know, especially now that the dust has settled and the writers and the actors were given their way and they are going to keep AI at bay, I think the studios really do need to take a good hard look at how much they actually want to start incorporating it because this is not going to help to get people back in the theaters at all. What this is is a trickle-down effect from the last couple of years of botches, specifically from Disney, right? Don't at me. Don't get mad. I didn't make up the phrase. This isn't woke Disney. A lot of the backlash from some of the previous films were people that felt like there was an agenda being forced on them. Did we think that? No. But there was a lot of attention in the media that told you that this is what was happening. All right? I'm not getting into a political conversation. Sit down and be quiet. That's not what this movie was, though. This movie was a love letter to traditional hand-drawn animation, which you all pound the table for. It's done in the animation style of Into the Spider-Verse, which you all say is genius, and yet the movie failed at the box office. Why, though? It failed because of things like Rachel Ziegler, right? There's been this snowball effect for the last couple of years, and Bob Iger has talked about it, you know, in the last couple of months, about how Disney has sort of lost its way creatively. They've cut corners. Of course, people talking about the bad visual effects in all of the Marvel shows and Marvel burnout. That compounded with the pandemic when new releases were getting pushed to Disney Plus so you didn't have to go to a movie theater and it was more cost effective to watch it at home. All of this is snowballed to where we are right now. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the pivot point is. They've got to pivot soon. Um, I think that people need to understand that you do have to form your own opinion. Opinion. You can't just go off of something you're seeing on TikTok because a lot of those videos are clickbait anyway. But something's got to give and something's got to give soon. No, and I'm glad you bring that up too because we are talking about what this means bigger picture for the whole industry. But looking at Disney specifically, why are we rooting for them to fail? Because guess what, folks? 
If the movies fail, so do the parks. And there goes your happy place. I know that Bob Iger has pledged to put $60 billion into the parks over the next 10 years. But where do you think that that is coming from? It, it's not just sitting right. there waiting to be spent. It's going to be generated from these films that we're not seeing. So it, one hand washes the other. There, there's not a separate budget for parks and a separate budget for movies. It's all coming from the same place. So if the movies fail, so do the parks. And I don't understand why everyone is forgetting that. I'm not sure either. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say. Did you see Wish? We went and saw it, right? It was a good movie. Did, did you feel that it was the love letter for Disney 100? Do you think that it is unjustly failed at the box office? Can you at least pledge to keep your clothes on when you're on attractions? Can we at least start there? Please, we love to hear from you. X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. I just gave you the social media. We are on threads and TikTok at Monorail Radio as well. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.